Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the Fatherhood Authority, Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us again for another episode as we continue to truck along in this year with some phenomenal voices, phenomenal stories. You see, I've been sharing clips of our conversations over the last month or so. Um, Content so good, I just can't let it sit within the podcast. I got to pull it out and move it on our social media. So that's probably going to be a trending habit that I'm going to do throughout the year, taking excerpts from my podcast interviews and actually moving them out there. Hopefully, for those of you who have not had a chance to listen to an I Am Dad podcast, will be encouraged and inspired to listen to some of these great brothers and sisters share some of their knowledge, specifically about responsible fatherhood, but more specifically about family. And so my guest today is of no exception in this conversation. Good friend, longtime friend, confidant friend, brother, family. Uh, met him when we came to Atlanta, um, and we've been attached by the hip since then. I've been wanting him to get on, but I've been wanting him to get on in another capacity because we got this idea about this new podcast that we want to do called Sideline Dad that's connected to um, sports. Um, and extracurricular activity of parents, and more specifically, fathers, and how fathers um, show up in the lives of their children when they are involved in extracurricular activities, not just sports, but band, debate team, you know, honor students, whatever those things are, parents show up in a particular way. But our (laughs) space that we have commonality in is in the AAU basketball space. So there's where uh, that is going to be where the anchor of most of our conversation takes place. But all of that stuff spreads across the way. But my guest this morning, Coach Charles Sharper, has dedicated his life to serving children and their families as a not-for-profit executive director, mentor, teacher, and coach. He is now widely recognized as one of Atlanta's most prominent voices in the youth development space. Born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, Charles grew up with parents who fostered children for 30 years. It was there that Coach Sharper learned to develop his craft for managing and developing children. His father, Norwood Sharper, taught him the art of being firm but fair, while his mother, Gladys Sharper, taught him compassion and grace. Combining these characteristics with his passion for youth sports and recreation, the Healthy Youth USA Foundation was born. And we're going to end that bio there. You can listen and see the rest of it on the page where he is. But I want you to hear from him more than I want from him more than I want you to hear from me. How you doing, Coach Sharper? How you doing? I, I'm, I'm going to need you to introduce me everywhere we go. Just send me over your salary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I try to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to up my game, bro. I'm trying to, you know, really do something special with this thing and not be business and usual. So, you know, you're, I, doing, I, I'm, it. you're doing it. You're doing I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm crazy about presentation and quality. I need to make sure that what folks are absorbing from us as an organization and it's me personally, that you're getting the best that I have to offer. And so that's why you're here this morning. 
And so when we start these things, Coach, we always start with this question, and that gets us moving into the space of our more deeper conversation. And that question is, tell us your daddy story. Um, first of all, I want to tell you thank you so much for what you guys are doing on this platform. Man, I've been a fan of you, but um, not only you, but the work that you do. And um, I try to live by it. And um, I just want to encourage um, all your listeners to uh, get out there and um, if you care, uh, donate. Uh, donate in the name of um, maybe a deceased relative or your parents or somebody that uh, you hold in dear to um, Fathers Incorporated. I know that's what I do. And I'm, I, I owe you, I owe you uh, uh, a donation, man. My, mm-hmm. my brother passed away, as you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I definitely want to donate. And just, uh, yeah, I know you guys will help carry his legacy of fatherhood to the next level. So thank you guys for what you do. Thank you. Uh, I might have just started my story on my my daddy's story. <laughs> Keep it rolling. Keep yeah, it rolling. yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I'll go. You know, I'll go right off, and I'll say I entered um, the world um, like so many without a father, um, and um, get being adopted um, as an early child at eight years old. Um, I was adopted by a family and obviously I mentioned, you mentioned Norwood in my bio and um, he was my father. So whatever he was (laughs) is what I accepted and embraced. And uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to have a dad who who really led and who really taught me uh, values of what I feel to be a strong dad. But um, fortunately or unfortunately, the most powerful conversation I've ever had was with my biological father. And so um, maybe uh, um, I got I got a phone call from my biological dad. It was my first and only time ever speaking to him. And um, when I picked the phone up, I thought I thought it was my voice echoing. Mm. I had never heard my dad speak or my biological dad speak. And so when I heard him, I thought it was me. His voice mirrored my voice. I mean, just as clear as I'm talking today, that's how he sound talking to me. And so we started off with a simple hi, and uh, we talked for two hours. And it was probably the most powerful and impactful conversation I've ever had, um, merely because I felt like I was talking to me. Um, he didn't have the influence that my uh, adopted father had, but that conversation was very powerful. And it was one that it was so unassuming because I didn't expect the call. And um, it was just, you know, unbelievable him telling me uh, his story about his family. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I was able to have that story. And a year later, he passed away. So it it taught me the significance of every conversation or every moment that you would have with a father. And so that's probably one of my most powerful uh, dad stories. Now, we're going to get to the other side of your daddy story, which is as you being a dad. But before I get there, I want to start with this, and that is, you know, you talked about your adoptive dad, you know, and one of the mantras that we lean on at Fathers Incorporated is 100% of all children born on the face of this earth has a biological father. The question isn't if he exists, it is where he exists. And if we never ask the question where, we make the assumption that he doesn't exist. The problem with that is we transfer that to our children. And as a result, our children are never able to explain the hole in their heart because they don't believe that it, they don't know where it comes from because you've told them that their father doesn't exist. And so when you speak about that part 
about being a um, adopted child. My other thing that I've always said in my career, and I have no scientific or evident, evidence proof of this, but I just believe it in my heart, and that is DNA seeks itself. Wow. Right. And so when you are a child without an attachment to your biological, biological children, you will always have a yearning in your body to know them and know about them because it connects you to them. And this whole notion of DNA seeks itself is something that is innately in your body, all of our bodies, to be connected somehow, even if it's just from a knowledge standpoint about our biological child, biological mm -hmm. parents. Have you ever experienced that or did, was that ever a yearning in you when you did not know them to just need to know something? Um, if, if I'm honest, I don't, if I did, I don't remember it. Um, my foster or my adoptive father had, was such an impactful personality. Um, and the conditions from where I came was, you know, uh, pretty tough. And so when I was adopted or embraced by, um, in fatherhood, man, I just, I never even questioned it. It felt very real. Although he was a little bit older, I still felt, um, super connected and, um, I, I felt loved. Uh, he was very firm because he's ex-military, but, um, it, it, it was, it was just, it, to be honest, it was just enough for me. But again, like I said, it was an extra bonus to be able to speak to my real father. I didn't know, I, I didn't understand or know that I, I probably yearned that, but man, that feeling of just hearing uh, another man sound just like me, um, and it just in his tone, um, just sent a, a lot of messages. And then I was, you know, fully adult. And so at that point, I, you know, I don't think I, I had reached levels of success uh, internally where I felt uh, justified as an adult. I was already a father. And so, um, you know, I just felt it was the both on the uh, on the gift to hear his voice. But I do think you're right. I do think um, we possibly may yearn that, I, you know, I just probably didn't have, didn't feel like I was, and I probably was, uh, silently or closetly doing it, but I didn't feel that way, but it was, it, it felt really good to be able to hear his voice, mm. uh, if, if, if it was for one time. And so, you know, I, I feel like because he passed away, uh, so sudden, um, I have such a great, memory of my biological dad that you know that that's a gift to be able to live and and that have that memory and like mm -hmm. for me it's like wow I, that that conversation was so impactful i mean it was an hour and 45 minutes so wow wow yeah. on the flip side of that coin you are the dad to caleb tyson and miss o olivia oh yeah, oh, yeah. tell that daddy story <laughs> <laughs> um man i have i'm very fortunate to have um, three kids that uh, often remind me of myself <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, I thought I would have um, uh, three boys. Uh, and I'll be honest in saying I just uh, automatically thought I'd have two, bo three boys and end up getting a girl. And boy, you, you are a father to a girl. And man, she changed my life. And uh, it's one of my best gifts. Olivia, she's so much like we enjoy so much of the same things. It's to spend time with her is effortless, mm -hmm. and so um, 
um, I'll start backwards and go up. She being the youngest, um, she's definitely my child that I probably share the most likeness to in terms of liking certain things and music and colors and patterns and just, you know, um, uh, things. I mean, she's um, definitely a phenomenal, uh, it's phenomenal to have a girl. I think if you, if you're fortunate to have a girl with two boys, mm. <laughs> that's a gift in itself. Um, Tyson, I feel is uh, definitely all athlete, <laughs> right? <laughs> and um, he's starting to challenge me a little bit more as he becomes a teen. Uh, I'm not as as young as I was when I had uh, Caleb, and so I dare not go out there and play with him unless I know I'm ready. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, Tyson reminds me probably more. Uh, of my current life um, uh, in terms of the way I live and, you know, some of the things that we're able to enjoy as a family because of uh, worldly success. And so he reminds me of that uh, often. And then my oldest son, I could say uh, I had him when I was younger. And so, man, I, it, it, until Tyson and Olivia, I didn't like what I looked like as a dad <laughs> at times. Like, that first child um, it really reminds you of just how bad you could be if you're unwilling to, to work at becoming better. Mm. But um, he, I'm really close with him. Um, he's military, and um, we also enjoy a lot of the same things. And so uh, I just get pure joy when I see that. Um, we, over, over Christmas, um, over Christmas, we were uh, going around the table saying what we were thankful for. And uh, he, he said, I'm, I'm thankful that I have my own money so I can just independently buy what I want to buy. And then I could have died right there. So uh, he as an adult male that, you know, that's 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 what you, you know, that's what you try to pass on. Right. And so I, I feel like he's figured that part out. And so that's phenomenal that he uh, feels he can take care of himself and he's got this. So. Mm -hmm. You have your three kids are also in very different areas where um, Caleb went the more <laughs> traditional route as a boy, right? Struggling yes. in school, not knowing what he really wanted to do. Yes. Um, yes. Kind of in a very surprising way, um, turned his life and ended up doing something that has made you not that you weren't always proud of him, but is now making you even more deeply proud yeah. of him going into the military, yeah. Tyson and his athletic space and Olivia in her artistic creative space. Right. When you look at the three of them, do you find yourself as a parent having to code switch as you talk to each one of them as individuals? Yeah, um, I don't. I feel like um, I, if, if say code switch to try to keep up with the <laughs> with the current lingo, but um, you know they're they're very they're very similar to either myself or mom in some way, and so I feel like there's just a connection, a communicative connection there. Um, I'll tell you before uh, my oldest son went off to. Uh, college or the military. I don't, I don't remember which one it was, but I remember giving him some advice. I said, I want you to do three things for me because I knew he was a, a lot like me in personality. I said, I want you to one, find community, um, whether that be a, um, a volunteer, at big brothers, big sisters, um, join a church, whatever you do, just find a community that you're connecting to. The other one is um, get a hobby. 
right? And so um, I knew the way we think as sharpers, um, we need to be occupied in that way. And the other one, as I said, find um, a spiritual community um, somewhere where you can get mentoring. Um, and that may even, you may even have to do counseling, like find somebody to listen to you because, you know, there's some things that um, you may perceive that I didn't do right. And it may haunt you a little bit. It may haunt me or your mom done or anybody else have done, but try to uh, deal with those problems early in your, uh, in your, uh, in your life. I feel like with mental health, a lot of us, and, and not to say that he has mental health issues, I just can't stand it as, with anybody else. I believe that we wait so late, and so we we kind of stagnate where how successful we can be in life. And when I tell you he's done that, um, a couple years ago, I turned on the internet and he was making rugs. <laughs> he, sells, <laughs> he sells rugs all over the world. Um, and he that was the hobby. And obviously he's a shoe fanatic for those you don't know. He's a sneakerhead shoe fanatic. And so he's been able to take some of that advice when I thought he wasn't listening and apply it to his life. And that's why I think he's uber successful. But um, to answer your question, I, I don't. I, I, I see the origin of um, their behaviors in a lot of ways. And so it doesn't make me question a lot of it, whether it be negative or positive. Mm -hmm. When you think about what you have gleaned from your parents in being raised by phenomenal adoptive parents or parents in this case, um, what characteristic that you've gleaned from them that has now become your superpower, the one you lean on the most? Um, the most? That's a great question. Um, I definitely, um, I would say um, I, I am, I can, I don't know how to probably best describe it, but both my parents were from the, the South, uh, deep South Alabama. And so they they kind of made things happen with limited resources. Mm. And uh, I believe that I've been able to embody that in a modern way. And so even the way I started um, a nonprofit, the way we live, it's in, in some ways non-conventional, but it's uh, very effective. But I think those um, those things were taught. Uh, I get, I'll share one quick story. Uh, I remember being a paper boy and um, this was in the 80s. <laughs> and um, after you would always have extra newspapers. And so my dad scolded me one day and was like, hey, store those old papers under the uh, the porch and, or under the stairs in the basement. And I was lazy. I didn't feel like going in the basement. So I would throw them away, end up getting chastising uh, because I didn't do it. So I started saving these newspapers. And maybe six, well, this was maybe the wintertime. We got to the summertime. Uh, my dad dropped me off at a recycle center <laughs> to turn in bottles, which you can get 10 cent for them um, and newspaper. And I didn't know that this was my first time encountering that. And um, so um, he, he sat in the car, read the newspaper and made me take all of this stuff in the store or, or in the recycle center. And when I came out, um, I came out, it was like, yeah, they gave me this money and I get, I tried to hand it to him. And he was like, what you handing it to me for? You earned it. And so those are some of the stories and some of the uh, experiences that, and my dad wasn't an entrepreneur, but I was able to kind of take those 
life lessons and understand that there, you, you know, there's non-conventional ways to reach success and uh, being having a deficit, um, I, I was able to use a lot of those and achieve in life. And so that, that's one of the other one was simply foster caring. My mom was really big on fostering kids. And that's a, that's different than being a mom, although we like to romanticize and say she treat, she didn't treat everybody like they were her kids, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just that, uh, you know, when you see, you know, two, 300 kids, like <laughs> I, she, she had love, but our house, man, it was a machine at times. And so uh, I was able to watch that. And uh, that's quite frankly, that's how I manage um, uh, Healthy Youth USA in the early days. I'm not as hands on as much with the, the kid aspect, but. Uh, I was able to teach those theories to staff for years. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of where you rolled right into where I was going, which is your passion for youth. Right. Um, and what, in your estimation, has been the stimulator or inspiration for really wanting to lean into not only through being an ED at um, Healthy Youth USA, but also being a coach? What has inspired you to be? Um, around youth and to develop youth in the way that you have? Yeah, um, if you'd have told me that I would be able to impact um, a community the way I have through youth, you know, I would have thought you were, you know, lying. Initially, I wanted to be um, a sports agent um, or a coach in the NBA, and I was on that path. Um, and then, man, I, I, I believe I heard... <laughs> I heard our conversation with God, like, man, this is where I need you, right? Mm. I, I feel like I've been groomed to do what I'm doing. I just didn't know it. And so uh, much of it is my passion because, uh, quite frankly, somebody's done it for me. Uh, I've had a community of people in my lifetime that have served as mentors, as bonus dads and uncles, um, and, and, and they've done, what I'm doing is nothing that I haven't seen being done for me. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very easy to do. And I think when God showed me like, yeah, we can get you a salary doing what you do, but, uh, you're gonna have to commit to it. And so it was, once I accepted, embraced it, it was easy to commit. Uh, one of the, one of the, the true gems in what I do is, uh, I, I've had the opportunity to spend countless hours with my kids. And so mm-hmm. uh, in, in managing kids and, and developing kids, my kids are able to be a part of that process. And so that's mm-hmm. probably been the biggest gift mm-hmm. uh, in it all. But uh, just unbelievable. It's, it's helped me um, break a generational curse, which uh, for those who don't know, they say that um, kids that are adopted are um, are more likely for their kids to go into adoption. And that's very real. I know kids that I grew up with that are in foster care and their kids' kids go in the system. It's very easy to do. Although uh, parents who haven't experienced that, they may see that and say, well, how, how why would that happen? And so I've been able to, to, to break that um, curse in my family. Um, and so it's been unbelievable. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about Healthy Youth USA. Yeah, yeah. So um, we are a nonprofit. We started out as profit because I was clueless Mm -hmm. (laughs) how to start a nonprofit. And the the thing about it at the time, my girlfriend, which was my current wife, was a a nonprofit uh, person. And so egotistical, I, you know, didn't want her help. 
I had to be the man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been about a year. I got we got flagged. We got flagged from the IRS. I was paying staff cash, and uh, <laughs> it was like, uh oh, can't do that, sir. Right. And so, um, but um, it started because I was uh, teaching PE at uh, various schools, and what 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 I noticed was uh, during a PE class, we would have four four, four PE teachers. And um, the class was 45 minutes to 50 minutes. Um, and as you know, trying to manage, um, you know, 85 or 90 third or fourth graders, you have to take attendance, give them instructions for the games. By the time they ended the game, man, you would have get, what, three minutes of actual playing time. Mm-hmm. And so then I noticed they were taking, they were stripping kids away from their, you know, the power hour or uh, recess as they call. And so these kids weren't active. And um, the final straw was I went to a, a PE convention in New Orleans and the speaker got up um, and the very first words, he said, um, this generation, um, th- this generation is set not to outlive their parents because of like sedative behavior. And he repeated it and I was like, wow. So, 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 you know, they're going to develop all of these diseases coming from just sitting around because they don't get the activity. And it kind of hit me. I said, I'm going to do something. And so we started help. I started healthy youth USA. Um, I, I was visiting a church, um, uh, uh, visiting in a church, to watch one of my students play soccer. And uh, when I walked in, I was like, man, this could be an unbelievable uh, space for my sports program. Had already had the, had already had the, the blueprint all down and um, talked to the minister there. And uh, we were able to kind of rent the space to start our after school program in um, the fall of um, 2004. Mm-hmm. And so we've been able to do and remain there um, ever since. And if I, if I tell you we would have been here that much later, I, I'd be lying because I was clueless. I was just trying to be obedient uh, and I was passionate and young at the time. So I just stupidly kept doing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> nah, and that then um, was our tie-in, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, our son at the time was going to Dunwoody Elementary School mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. he started doing aftercare and the next thing you know, me and my wife met the Sharpers, right? Yes, yes. And um, our sons became friends, um, still friends, and we got acclimated to this world of basketball, right? Yeah. Through good news. Um, and I still, I am so freaking thankful that I have the videotape of the very first game they played and pictures of Tyson and KJ together, which yeah. we'll be showing for years from now when these cats are in the NBA. We'll be showing them like yeah. playing basketball together in a small gym in Sandy Springs or Dunwoody, Georgia. Yeah. And so when you think about the basketball aspect and the coach aspect of who you are, what principles are you bringing from your parenting into your um, responsibilities as a coach? Um, I'll I, I say the very first one is firm affair. I believe sports um, requires a, a very structured platform. Um, although the the talent on the floor often is encouraged to play loose because that's, that, that could be a positive, but I look at it like it's battle and I feel like you have to have a strategy, a plan, uh, 
You have to have things that you repetitively do and exercise. And so a very firm but fair um, approach uh, towards the game. But uh, I, I do believe um, I, I like for it to be competitive even at a low level. And so uh, we, we, we start kids out um, at the beginner level. So we try to make it really fun but we're always encouraging competitiveness because that's what, that's what creates the success in sports. Uh, that creates the climb. And so it's not always for everybody, but I think um, that's life. We use uh, sports as a metaphor for life. And so if you're competitive as an individual on a job or even competitive with your brothers and sisters, you'd be surprised how, um, how that success train, how far it can take you. Mm-hmm. I often tell people that if you really want to see fatherhood at its extreme heights, um, go to a youth sporting game. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no matter what it is. No matter if it's ping pong. Like, you're right. so right. You're so right. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so, so right. one of the things that you opened my eyes to, particularly being in this work of responsible fatherhood, is this notion that fathers aren't involved. And the first thing that I recognize going to your gym and going to that gym with our kids playing as kids was the amount of dads that were in the space. Absolutely. Right? Dedicated, intentionally focused um, men who were there um, to um, celebrate their children on. And in some cases, like us, I had to learn to become the parent I am in sports now. I didn't start out that way. There were times and nights that I was like parent of the year, you know, giving my child encouragement and nights that, you know, I had to take a time out, mm-hmm. you know, because I was on something, you know, else trying to get him um, to be what I know his potential will allow him to be. What has been your experience, you know, in this space, particularly with men and dads in the space of sports and how they show up when you see that? What is the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, I believe now we have, first of all, I think, um, if we talk about inflation, we never talk about the inflation of cost to play sports. Um, some sports, particularly basketball, we're talking about used to be a very inexpensive sport to play, uh, baseball and hockey and football were more expensive sports. And so now what, if you notice they're pricing kids out. Um, the sports have you, now to make it, it requires you to have tr- trainers, um, specialized skill. Um, they're, it, they're attaching costs that really makes it very difficult for a single mom or a single dad to do it alone. Not to mention um, the equity, the sweat equity put into taking kids to practices, to trainers. In, in a lot of cases, most of the sideline dads either work from home or entrepreneur where they can have a flex schedule because it's really intense once you reach a certain level. And so when I look at dads, if you look at the draft board, um, you'll see mom and dad where you used to the the whole, Hey, I'm going to make it so I can buy my mama a house that in a lot of ways is dated because those that are on, on the draft board, Mm-mm, not so much. Now, with the exception of the NIL monies and all of these other avenues to make money, these kids already make money before they turn pro. 
They're already, I was just at a Cincinnati game. You players make 60, 100, 200,000 to play basketball, plus house, car, you know, fourth row or, or you know, front row seats. And so it's it, the culture of basketball has changed to where you do need that <laughs> more than you used to. I came from an era, my parents, they didn't come. I don't think my parents have ever seen me play basketball. We were motivated in our own way. But uh, we live in a culture now where it's basketball, even at the lower level, is such a big business. I mean, it, they're charging a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars for AAU for a travel yeah. basketball. That's the that is the going rate right now in Atlanta, Georgia, for AAU a thousand to fifteen hundreds for a fourteen year old to play basketball for the next three months. Mm -hmm. And so, I see dads not only have to fi help finance, but they have to be present. Because sometimes, unfortunately, the gatekeepers of this game that we love, um, there's a lot of politics involved. And so you have to be smarter. That's why our relationship is so powerful, because when I'm not in Gwinnett, you know what's going on there or vice versa. We both have children um, you know, playing in private school. That's a whole nother culture that we had never thought about. And the, the level of politics there is unimaginable specifically for a person like myself who's always been public school educated and so when you talk about trying to raise a student athlete to you know acquire a scholarship later on if you're you're in a lot of ways at a super disadvantage if there's not a father or a father figure there uh, don't let anybody tell you that and and unfortunately you know our 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 women, they even have to deal with um, men being attracted or whatever, you know, that that whole thing, it's, it comes with it. It's it's a very true thing. It's, it's an ugly aspect of it, but it's very true. And basketball has is no longer um, a business just for college. It's a business at the AAU level, at the grassroots level. It is big business. If if you don't if you don't think I'm I'm telling the truth, look how many cameras are on. Those guys aren't there because they represent a media outlet. Those those are there because individual parents in a lot of cases are paying for that, those highlight uh, reels. You look around, there's certain brands around. There's there's you know multi-million dollar facilities being built every day for youth basketball. Why? So it's really big business and you need the knowledge of both parents to be able to navigate it, mm -hmm. but in particularly dad. Yeah, yeah. you're in a neat, unique position that um, you actually coach, um, you coach your son. Um, all your kids are in some level or are in some level of sports, but specifically for Tyson, coaching him um, is another whole nother dynamic, right? Yes. Yes. So you're trying to be dad, and you're trying to be coach at the same time. What are the moments to which those two things clash? Wanting to be coach yeah. and wanting to be dad. Um, it's, it's a lot of moments. There are some failed attempts as well. Um, he's at an age where he um, he doesn't like being coached uh, by me. One, because I've, I've always done it. Um, and he wants to break away and he wants to prove to himself that he's done it and he's done it on his own. And that's something that I think we all can respect um, as parents. Um, the other aspect is when you are coaching, 
uh, knowing where the cutoff switch is. I know I'm, I'm guilty of at times going overboard. So I'm told, (laughs) (laughs) but no, I've gone overboard. And, you know, with another kid, you may have that limit, but with your own child, um, you know, there's a pressure for at times for him to do well, because you know that outsiders may view it as a nepotism situation. And so when he's not on, you know, you have to be able to deal with that when he's going through his teen moments, um, you have to be able to uh, handle that and you have to be, you have to continue to consider him. But at the same time, you have to understand when it's time to uh, not coach. And so that's something that uh, I, I'm, I'm working on currently. So mm-hmm. what's the switch that you turn on when you're a girl dad? Um, I think with my girl in particular, she's talented in so many areas, uh, so many areas. I am a, a huge um, advocate of kids being active. And so as long as Oli- the difference between Olivia and my boys, as long as Olivia is active, I'm, I don't push as hard. Now, Olivia is also really talented, but it, I would never want to push her to, to the point where she wants to quit. If she quits, it's going to be on her own merit, not because I pushed her to do it. I'm going to encourage her to do it. But she knows that as long as she's active, um, she's encouraged to be active. I believe um, kids uh, staying active into young adulthood, it carries over into their livelihood. It actually, I feel like it saves their life. And so with my boys, uh, I have pushed, um, uh, I, I push, I guess, harder because I believe at one time or another, their goals in sports were a little bit higher than hers. And so, you know, if you if you're if you have a kid that wants to be a pro athlete, you can't push them like they're amateurs. Not not in, not in today's culture, but I, I even feel like there's some days with with them you have to. It's a still a line you have to straddle. Some days you have to give them their space to uh, simply uh, call it quits for that temporarily if you want them to have long term success. Mm-hmm. One of the great things that I loved about you and continue to love about you is that as we kind of talk about these momentary things, there's a lot of life stuff going on at the same time, right? There's a lot of things that we're gleaming from as it relates to life and a lot of things that I know my son has gleaned from you and the experiences that he's been a part of with you and also with Tyson that he has learned some life things. Um, The most impressive thing that you um, did with Tyson that I didn't get it at the moment, but now I get it. And now he's beginning to get it. And that was the importance of socialization, right? Yes. Because we don't teach our children to socialize right. and what that means to want to be in a business that is a team oriented business right. and be social. Talk a little bit about why that's important. Um, you know, I, I believe uh, being social allows you it it's it's an early stage of playing politics, which in most aspects of our life, uh, even the straight shooters, you're going to you're going to you're going to have to deal or manage uh, that. And I also try to put um, Tyson particularly in situations that challenge him in areas that he's not comfortable. And so I believe if your dream is beyond your neighborhood or your city, you have to travel outside of that to know just how far you want to take 
your particular talent. And so I really try to work that aspect into it early. Um, unlike our generation, I feel like this generation has, has, has to have a skill of being comfortable talking to adults. Whereas our generation, you know, we didn't really speak to adults as much unless we were asked to. With this generation, they're different and it's for a good reason. And so I really want them to be able to speak with, um, uh, speak with confidence and um, I want them to be um, very powerful when they deliver. And so developing these social, um, uh, these social skills require um, visiting different places or putting them in different situations. And I, I can say I've seen uh, growth in all three of my kids. Uh, but I think the, the one of the best is, um, I will use as an example, is ours. Um, I think to be able to manage a friendship um, and your kids are trying to manage a friendship, it reminds them that, you know, at times, you know, if you're, if you're looking at a lifelong friend, there's going to be months or sometimes years that there may be some disconnect, but you always hold on to the good times, but you also hold on to the bad times. I can remember coaching Kenneth and um, I remember not playing him the way he should have gotten playing time. And, you know, I'm all about if you're working hard, you're going to play. And I would play this taller kid just because he was bigger and I felt like we needed him on the floor. I was married to playing him over Kenneth at the time. And I remember in the game, I didn't want to insult Kenneth by putting him in the last minute and a half when I finally realized, like, man, I didn't play this kid as much as he should have. And I can see that you were upset about it and there was something, you and, you and Tracy both, but that was a very low point for me because I felt like I was a liar. Like, man, I have been telling them this is the type of coach I am. And I failed at it. And I remember um, apologizing about it. But I remember, and even at the time, you probably didn't even want to hear it. You're like, no, you did wrong. You should have played them. Mm -hmm. But to have that friend, to, have the, to understand, first of all, respect and boundaries, and then for us to be able to get over that, that whether they, our kids saw that conflict or not, mm -hmm. I think it's needed because you, we are often mirroring for our kids. Mm -hmm. And so if we can't do it, that's how hard it is for our kids. Right. And so right. I try to keep that in mind, that level of respect mm -hmm. for um, the kid. But I also understand that I have my own relationship with Kenneth that's distant from his dad, uh, our friendship as well. And so that's, that professional side of me that I understand that forever I'm going to be Kenneth's coach. And so mm -hmm. I want him to have a favorable memory of me at one time. I don't want him saying my coach was the worst. <laughs> I want him to be able to remember times that I favored him. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of some of it. Yeah. Nah, the coolest aspect of what you're talking about now is that those, even though they were hurtful and we had to grind through those moments when we did, they also became teachable moments, right? Yeah. And so me, it was, everybody's not going to recognize your greatness. Yes. Sometimes you have to wait for your opportunity to show greatness and be great. Right. Um, and those people will either regret not seeing your greatness or they'll celebrate you for being yes. great and recognize that. So don't carry that on your own shoulders just when you have the opportunity to be great, be great. Right. Absolutely. And so, and he still carries that today. He still 
Like when he feels he has to be in and he's not in, mm -hmm. my thing mm -hmm. is ball that stuff inside, let it boil inside, and the minute you get on the floor, take it out on the ball. Yeah, take it yeah, out on the people that's on the floor. Now he's still <laughs> walking into the dog in him. He still right. hasn't got in it yet. Right. But there are moments that I've seen him go into that space and he just shows out. Now needed to be. Yeah. a normal part of who he is. But the other aspect is the friendships that he has created over the years being Absolutely. a part. Like last night I saw him dap up some kid on the other team and I was looking at him I was like, man, I didn't know who that was. And and after I was like, yo, who was that? He's like, he, he used to be on Mamba. Mm -hmm. uh, we played on Mamba together. I didn't recognize the kid. But when he gets on the floor and he sees kids from Peace Chips, Good News, Mamba, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the, those things may be, he is right. now walking onto the floor and he has association with kids that they have now been, think about this y'all, they've been playing, they're both 14 now, they've yep. been playing basketball for 10 years. Right, right. They've been yeah. playing basketball for 10 freaking years. Unbelievable. So they got long relationships, which then kind of leans me into this thing, which is every other year, um, Healthy Youth USA, um, host what they call the shopper ball. Mm -hmm. And it's just like this black tie social event that takes place in Sandy Springs that we look forward to every other year. It's like- We glad you look forward get. to it. <laughs> <laughs> we get dressed up and we come out and take yeah. pictures and you know do all those things. But there was two things that happened this year that were very special to me. One thing I just saw um, that I was like, next year that's not gonna happen. We're not gonna forget to make sure that KJ is there. And Andrew was there as well. And that was when I saw Nico and, and Manning and yeah. all these kids that they played with and Tyson and they're together. And I saw y'all taking this picture and I'm like, KJ should be in that picture. Yeah. I'm like, not only because he should be in there, but I'm looking at their growth and I'm right. looking at what you've done. It wasn't about him not being in a picture. Right. It was about the moment of what I was seeing. Like we, like I still have pictures of those kids at seven and eight years old. Right. And you know, and Tyson and KJ being the same size, Manny being a little bit taller. Some other pictures where um, Jahari was a little taller than Nico and Nico right. then became a little tall and they went through these things and now I'm sitting there looking at them and some of them have some noticeable height differences, but they're up on each other now. They're even up on you. Like it's not yeah. so much that they're up on <laughs> each other, they either up on you. Right, right. For a moment like that, and you have a couple of those stories that you've mm -hmm. told me where you've run into some kid that was either part of Healthy Youth USA, a part of one of the basketball teams that you run into or you see on TV or you see on Instagram. Like what's your biggest like wow moment like when you've run into a kid that you haven't seen for a while and they tell you how much you mean to them? Oh, man, that's that's. Fortunately, I get that a lot. And, um, you know, I I just, you know, I just feel like it's a job well done. I feel I feel as though the obedience paid off. Um, it's always, you know, incredible to see kids swan up um, mm -hmm. and uh, reach their potential. I know there's one kid, he didn't play basketball. And I remember my oldest son, Caleb, used to, we used to uh, have this game where we did relays on the track inside of a healthy youth center. And this kid couldn't beat Caleb ever. 
Like, it was like, but he was fast. But Caleb was fast when he was young. And um, I remember him just bawling, crying. I was like, you, you, you'll be fine. You'll be able to, you'll, you're going to be, re- you're a year younger. You're going to be fast. I mean, you are fast. Mm-hmm. And this kid went on to, to run track in high school um, and end up earning, he got scholarship offers from Purdue, from all of these schools, end up running, signing at Kennesaw State. This kid is, looks like an action figure now. Wow. Um, and so he's a graduate now. But, you know, I remember, you know, him and he, he re, we talked about that story uh, in particular. And there's another story where uh, he was supposed to be our speaker, uh, Avery Lynch. Uh, I remember this kid was like nerdy and, man, you could barely get him to move around. Man, this guy is a pilot at Delta now. And so, you know, when you... <laughs> You see these kids go off to do, you know, the impossible almost, man, you, you know, you know, you, you, you're just, you know, blessed to have a hand in it. But you also know that we live in a tremendous community that uh, aids and assists in that as well. And so I don't take full credit. I just, I had a job to do and um, I'm just glad I was able to, we were able to do what we said we were going to do on the flyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Before I get to the second one, I just want to roll back and I want to touch on one other person that just warms my heart every time I see them. And she was part of those pictures back in the day of those first games that we played um, in the gym. And that's Isla. Oh, yeah. Like, man, what does she do, do to your heart when you see her? I saw her. We were at Swain basketball doing training and she came in. I was sitting next to another parent. And she came in and she lit up and I lit up and we hugged and embraced. And uh, it was just phenomenal. I can't say that I didn't see her growth. She has just always been, I mean, I, to be honest, I think she would do it. She would have done it with or without us. We, we just had to hop on her train. She was always, she was always super smart, super intelligent, very coachable. And so now, you know, being one of the better female basketball players in the state of Georgia or in the country, she's had offers from South Carolina, Tennessee. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, freshman uh, leader on her team, you know, has earned her scholarships and playing all over the country. And so uh, her in particular, what made it special for me was she's probably the first female standout that I've seen to, to reach those heights in basketball. And, you know, you knew that was coming. She would beast and she would push our kids around. What are you talking about? <laughs> and, uh, you know, probably still could. And so she played with the boys in fourth and third grade. And so now, I mean, it's no surprise that she's one of the best in the country. So Right. The second thing that you did this year is that you honored dads, which was touching uh-huh. to me, relevant to me. But I want you to talk a little bit about why that was important for you to do that um, and how you felt about doing that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, you were a big component of that. Thank you for the work, again, that you guys do and your team, just phenomenal. And um, you gave me some advice. Well, you not advice. You told me, this was maybe two, three years ago. You said, well, we was at a Chick-fil-A. And he was like, well, you know, you don't have to be a great dad. You don't have to be perfect. It would help, but you just being a dad is good enough. So if you're a homebody, if you, whatever you are, you're still dad. Man, and I had never heard 
Um, you're always encouraged to be a provider, protector, all of these things. And it's like, no, you're dad. And so we uh, fortunately have had a lot of dads that have made a lot of sacrifices for our program and uh, continue to do out in the community. And so we wanted to be able to acknowledge dads with um man, with us, with the, the iconic CEO of uh, Fathers Incorporated. And uh, that endorsement really validated what we were doing. And um, and so we wanted to be able to do that. And uh, our Sharper Ball is a time where we invite the community in to be able to celebrate, uh, to be able to celebrate with us and also uh, give them an opportunity to lay eyes on our program in which they would probably, if they don't have kids there, they would never see. And so it was imperative that we acknowledge these men who have been significant or play significant roles in what we do, either as, uh, you know, making recommendations for our program, signing up as volunteers, being actual donors, uh, bringing re their resources, in-kind donations to us over all of these years. And so that's we that was the least that we can do. Um, unfortunately, it's gone this long. It's something we should have done years ago. Mm. Lastly, as we round this um, episode out, what's your vision, bro? Like, what are you trying to um, get to ultimately? What will be the Charles Sharper legacy? Uh, good, 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 good question. Well, I, I believe having an adult kid, my legacy is starting, is I'm, I'm seeing my legacy play out. Um, I see a lot of, um, it's, it's, I don't have a es this esoteric view of, vision. I can say specifically for healthy youth, I'd like us to continue to grow, but I want to personally see um, kids mirror the work that I'm doing, right? And so whether they do that in the form of their own programming or ours, either way, I feel like that we're, we're a part of that legacy. And so with that being said, I'd like to see, I'd like to see us continue to uh, stay current with programming, to expand our reach um, in other areas. Um, but more importantly, I want to be able to I want to be able to sustain our mantra, right? And making America healthier one youth at a time. Because when kids are active, I know our future is going to be active and positive. And so, as, 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 whether we document that or not, you know, if we're influencing that, that's that's a big enough goal for me. And in all honesty, I feel like I'm already a winner in life. I mean, you're talking about a kid from the west side of Detroit who couldn't read till he was eight or nine years old, you know, from the statistics, I'm supposed to be locked up. You're talking about a guy who's got a, had an opportunity to coach at such a high level, be able to coach individuals that are going to impact the world with their talent and skills, all while being a part of my kid's family, breaking that generational curse. So when you talk about my vision, I believe I'm living it. Um, it's just unbelievable to see it every single day. So that is a great question. Man, thank you so much for all you are and everything you do. It is an absolute honor um, to be your friend um, yes. and to be connected with you and to be in the same space and to build together yes. um, not only our families, but our community. Um, and that's a rare, special um, occurrence. One, um, one, one other thing before you go, I want to thank everybody it look it, it it often appears like it's just you <laughs> but from tracy to gavin to bo i mean it's i mean um your, your your cfo i mean they 
they do a tremendous job. Um, when I'm at Hoops for the Holiday and all your uh, your your volunteers that are there, man, they know me by name. I feel like a little small celebrity going through there. And uh, man, you just have an amazing team. Uh, I, you definitely goals for me to pr produce a team that is uh, so skilled, knowledgeable, and uh, passion. I love watching the uh, last Tracy episode and uh, just you know how the organization has really impacted her personally. So kudos to your staff and um, you guys are doing a tremendous job. Thank you, thank you so much. And to my I Am Dad listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Our um, guest today, um, Coach Charles Sharper, ED of Healthy Youth USA Foundation here in Sandy Springs. All of his information will be in the bio. Make sure you check him out if you're here in the area. Um, make sure you come through. Um, if you got kids in this district, make sure they're going to Healthy Youth USA. I'm telling you, I am. And my son is a product of what this man and his wife and family has done for us since we've come to Atlanta, Georgia. You know how I like to leave for you. Always be kind to others as you're kind to yourself or you might find yourself by yourself. Always shoot high for your goals because even if you miss, you'll be amongst the stars. And as my good mentor, Art Mitchell, always said to me, it's nice to be important, but it's much more important to be nice. Till next Sunday, peace out. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child... I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period.